Welcome to the Prepare to Win podcast. I'm your host, Justin Oliver, here as always with Dane Lee. Today we're going to get into a bit of an interesting topic. Um, I'm going to let Dane kind of intro it and, and go over it a bit, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive right in. So I uh, talked to Justin last week about things that he might want to do for topics, and I said, if you don't have anything, I've got this one that I'm studying right now in class for neurobiology that deals with uh, sub-threshold learning. And the non-nerdy version of that is basically the things that the body figures out how to do that we're not paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Like it happens literally every second of every day with everything that's going on. Um, so in classes, we're talking about it. We very rarely ever talk about anything that's directly applicable to sports or to like coaching or anything like that. But you start to see things that are um, corollaries between the two of them. So what they talk about is as soon as the body has any sense of a stimulus, anything at all, mm. it automatically begins to react to it and learn from it. And within eight times going through something, you're 50% more efficient at processing it, whether you know, that's mentally uh, or just you know, neurologically through the body which is a crazy fast level of efficiency. So if you take that and you think about coaching someone or you think about athletics and you realize that when someone goes through like a squat or a clean and jerk, there are way too many things to pay attention to all at once. Cause you, I mean, especially when you have like hundreds of pounds that you're moving, Yeah, you don't want to pay attention to that. You don't want to think about, you know, am I activating uh, certain parts of the body at the right time going through it. Like you want it to be a very smooth process. Now, if you have someone who has bad coaching or no coaching, then they've learned how to be efficient at doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And it just got me thinking about this difference where I think people mix up um, doing something well with doing something efficiently. Like just because you're efficient at doing something because you've learned and adapted to doing it that way doesn't make it right. Um, and when I was coaching kids years ago with sprint mechanics, this is something I tried to like really reinforce with them. It's like just because you're fast doesn't mean you're as fast as you could be in the same way that you might have someone come in and they're just they're naturally strong, they're naturally fast, they're you know naturally talented. It, they often confuse the fact that they're good at something mm-hmm. because it's how they're doing it as opposed to they're good despite yeah. how they're doing it. Well, I, I know like Dan with, uh, with weightlifting, he always talks about comparing it to like a golf swing. All right. So you figure, you know, you take even like a pro golfer or let's not even call it a pro golfer. Let's just talk about like the weekend golfer who's pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And he goes out and he has a little bit of talent and you know, he can hit, um, beat all of his buddies, you know, probably win or place in like a local tournament in the top couple or, you know, whatever. Um, <clears throat> just because, you know, he's talented enough to do that doesn't mean like he has a perfect swing. Right. And if you look at like the pros, they're always trying to refine that swing and find better mechanics through their swing. And, you know, there's so much that goes into that. And it just seems stupid because you're swinging a golf club, but there's so much that goes into right. that. And that's why Dan compares that all the time to Olympic weightlifting, because, <clears throat> you know, as much as it's just like, oh, just take this weight and put it over your head. And, 
there's so much that goes into <laughs> from the floor to over your head. And there's so many sequences through there that need to be proper. And just because you can do it doesn't, like you said, doesn't make it right. Right. Um, but I think that's interesting to, you know, you say like if you learn it or repeat it or whatever, do it eight times, you're going to learn at a 50% better rate. Is right. Kind of what you're saying there. The amount of attention and energy you have to put into executing mm-hmm. drops about 50%. Yeah. So if you do the wrong thing, around that time yeah. like you've suddenly become that much more efficient at doing, at doing things thing. incorrectly yeah. yeah and it makes it this cascading effect of one bad thing leads to the next compensation mm-hmm. which leads to the next one so uh, i made a post last week that said you know, we are very rarely aware of the things that we're doing incorrectly and the things that we are aware of are really not what we have to focus on mm-hmm. because they're the end result of you know, probably multiple factors that we don't have a sense of. I mean, how many times do you watch somebody squat and you're like, did you realize that you're shifting as you're coming out of the hole? And they're like, I had no idea. Yeah. You show them a video and they're like, holy shit. I didn't realize. You'll see sometimes when that starts to arise a little bit and you you hurry up and you try to, you know, get on it, say something, get them to start their drills, like start to repair that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then you see it the next week and it's worse. And it's like, fuck, (laughs) because you know, what's coming. Like, all right, we're going to have a little bit of time where we're going to have to fix this now because it's already starting to get ingrained Mm -hmm. a little bit. And, um, you know, that's why when I start working with people, the first thing we do, and I don't care how experienced you are, is I start to break down your technique and we start to repair that before we ever start adding load. And once we get that to a, um, I want I don't want to say perfect level because it's very rarely ever going to be perfect. Right. But to a comfortable level to where I think we can safely move up and we're going to be fine with the technique mm-hmm. that you have at that point, then we'll start to do that. But that's one of the main drivers for that is that because if you're sitting there doing reps that in a sense are just making you fall backwards, even though you might be getting stronger, you right. Like you, quote unquote getting stronger. Yeah, you might be getting stronger you're not going to have that ability to push past that strong point, you know, whatever that point is because your technique wasn't sound right. from the beginning. So and it automatically limits like the end potential. Yeah. I mean, with everything, it doesn't matter what activity you're looking at. And I've had conversations with different coaches and practitioners where, you know, they look at that and they say, well, you have to be able to figure out, you know, what is it? Are they at the end of their, you know, genetic potential? Or are they at the end of that particular movement potential? Or mm-hmm. are they, do they have an asymmetry or deficiency or it is a proprioception? It's like, look at all of them. So instead of arguing on which one it is, it's like, look at every single one of them. I mean, like I said, side tangent. It's, well, even, even, you know, off that case of a hip shift is like, um, you know, throughout this prep, uh, you know, I injured that left adductor mm-hmm. and, um, then the right, <laughs> the right hip had an impingement. Um, you know, this is before prep in the off season. So, you know, I'm getting into prep. I wouldn't say my technique was a hundred percent, you know, dialed back in, but Hey, we're going to give it a go anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because as those weights start to go up, I noted like you don't have as much control, I should say over your technique. Um, you do, yeah. you, you know, your body's just trying to move at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, once you start to get into the heavier weights and um, higher percentages into your threshold. But I started to notice, and it just pissed me off. Like, I would notice it in my warm-ups, me shifting over. I'd come off a squat, and I could feel, 
like it push from my left side and shoot me right. Yeah. You know, and it's like I know that, you know, my left side is just permanently just fucked up a little bit with my knee being, you know, repairing stuff. There's not as much flexion there. I know that ankle, you know, tearing everything out. There's not going to be as much mobility there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just things happen, yeah. you know. So I understand that that's probably always going to be an ongoing thing. But then you take it and you add in an adductor injury and that made it even worse. But because I wasn't going through um, the off season in, you know, moving right with my hips and taking, um, I don't, you know, we'll use the term spread the floor or whatever. But because I wasn't, you know, in good external rotation because I wasn't driving more outward. I was trying to drive more straight up mm -hmm. and I wasn't allowing like hips to come through how they should. And, you know, pushing through my upper back and things like that, that driving straight up just pushed me to the right. Yeah. You know, so I wasn't loading properly and I also wasn't coming out of the hole properly and I wasn't using everything that I should be using. And that's shifting me, you know? So, just kind of, you know, given a, a real world example of kind of what we're talking about is because of those quote unquote, you know, shitty reps through the off season, mm -hmm. it carried into that time when I'm trying to reach my peak potential. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until, you know, I've had a couple good squats here lately, but it's still not a work in progress. Was. Yeah. Yeah. So you said the comment, just trying to move the weight in like remove the idea of an ego from mm -hmm. that we're not talking about like an athlete coming in and being like oh i just absolutely have to do this like the nervous system is egoless mm -hmm. in that regard where it is going to try and do this is a perfect example of efficiency it's going to try to do the best thing that it can in that situation to accomplish the goal that you've decided yeah. it needs to do when in your case it was you know shifting to rearrange the load so that you can move the weight yeah. Is that the best like mechanical position to be in that you move to? No. But was that the best one that you could be in in order to move the weight because of other things going on? Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's what the body was trying to do. It was going to what it knew was best. Yeah. But it has to be taught, you know, what is a better position to be in. And that's where it comes back, like I said, the off-season reps yeah. going into it. Um, little, little drills that will help. Right. You know, things like that. Yeah. And when you talk about taking lifters at the beginning and just like stripping it away and looking at technique that covers so many bases. Like mm -hmm. it, what if you did have a muscular uh, deficiency on one side or another, guess what you get to work out when you strip down weight, you suddenly start at a level where both sides are comparable and then you can work your way up. So one side gets a chance to catch up. Mm -hmm. What if you do have an asymmetry, you get to see, where it starts to show up. Like maybe you strip someone down to a squat and they're only doing 135 and you don't see anything. But then suddenly at 185, you're like, oh, yeah. that shows up. All right, that's where we start to work and figure out why is it at that weight that you know we do notice uh, a difference in mobility or a difference in how the body moves. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you're also taking care of you know fixing proper technique. Yeah, yeah it's, it becomes one of those things you have to start to – um, like you said, break it down and find out like, you know, it, it was it a, a bracing factor mm -hmm. off the start, something simple, you know, like a bracing factor. Is it because they have, you know, s something that's not symmetrical? Do they have, um, you know, a problem just mentally? Like, you know, I'll see it all the time where people brace fine. Everything looks great. They load properly. 
they get into the hole and they start to feel that pressure and they almost like relax and release everything. Mm. You know, that's not really the, the, the it's, it's not really a strength issue. It's not really a mechanical thing. It's mentally you're feeling pressure and you don't know how to push through that pressure yet and get back up. Like you just sort of defeat yourself. Yeah, yeah. You sort of, you know, you sort of just get that in your mental, uh, inside your head like oh that's heavy and you just kind of relax too much and you'll see and it's like way slower coming out of the hole than if you just would have stayed tight mm -hmm. fought through the pressure and got back up yeah. so yeah so without getting into too much of the like the science of it because like i think it's it's really interesting to watch and think of movement as a puzzle and just like work everything backwards and be like oh okay so this is going on mm -hmm. and then you start asking questions or watching and move through other things and you realize like oh this happened before that and everything kind of like builds on top of it yeah and this is part of the reason why i get frustrated when people say oh it depends on why well tell me why it depends like tell me because if you have all these different variables and they say well everybody's different and you have different circumstances like all right so let's let's talk about those what are those different circumstances? Because understanding the foundation of like the neurobiology on it suddenly creates this conversation where you can talk about all those. And it doesn't have to be, you know, deep and nerdy in the way that I think is fun, but it's a conversation that you actually hear a lot of coaches talk about. They just don't talk about it necessarily to that depth yeah. where, I mean, how often in a client intake, like let's say you have a new athlete come to you and you say, all right, what's your background? What have you done? What are some things that you need to know about, you know, other sports you've played or other injuries you've had? How long have you been training? Without you worrying about like the hard science of it, that's giving you an idea of how much experience they have, what that movement might've looked like, what oh. kind of deficiencies they might have, what kind of strengths they might automatically have. Yeah. And you just intuitively start to put that together well, all of those things that you're intuitively putting together, that's motor learning. That's neurological. Um, and like when I'm reading this in class, like that's immediately what I start to think of. And uh, like I said, I'm a nerd when it comes to it, but it's a fun conversation to allow athletes and coaches to have like a little bit deeper understanding mm -hmm. and it, it maybe not understanding, but just more validation yeah. on, you know, why they're doing what they're doing or even, you know, what they're doing and how it works or yeah. the fact that it does work. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, we can, we can go on with like, we could take, we could take this yeah. subject and start spinning it off into all these, these different, um, you know, sports and, and different things. And like the one that came to mind is like, look at how that would transfer over to CrossFit in the lack of learning. Yeah. <laughs> because, as talking about it with another athlete last night, one of the things that helps to make evident the asymmetries or deficiencies or just the lack of learning is you take people through progressions. Yeah. You take people from, uh, say, a goblet squat and or just even like a bodyweight squat. Can you do that and work your way up to a barbell squat? Yeah. Um, when you look at weightlifting with Dan, um, you know, can you just stand up? with a broomstick or yeah. a PVC pipe. Can you just do that and then do that correctly in relation to it before you ever put weight on. Yeah. And then you have something such as CrossFit where it's just like, all right, this is the workout. We're going to yeah. figure out like how you can do that, but we're not going to necessarily like 
go through all the progressions and teach you before you ever do a workout. It's just like, boom, go balls of the walls. Let's do this. And what happens? You see bad movement, you see injuries. Yeah. Like that's a perfect example. I know, you know, like I understand, you know, you have a, you have a class and you have all these different levels of people and you don't have a lot of time and you know, this and that, but I've, I've just never understood it. And I think it comes down to sometimes a lack of knowledge or a lack of wanting to put in the effort because you know, I've coached a, a lot of classes um, over the years. And, you know, even when we had our short stint of having a CrossFit <laughs> gym, um, you know, when I would have classes or I'd come in to coach or, you know, even if even if I just dropped in, like when we had, you know, our classes over here and, and I would just drop in and I would immediately start to pick people apart. And I didn't care if you wanted to do what was on the board or not like yeah. i'm gonna tell you here's the best way to do it here's how i and i didn't care if everyone in the class was doing a different modification right do you know what i mean or working on a different you know skill within that workout and i didn't need you to go fast i didn't need you to i need you to have good reps right it's you the know? bigger picture in mind yeah. and you know i can think of um you know a couple of them like i, I can remember the one girl that she, it was a workout. We had, you know, a few snatches, four or five snatches or something, uh, through the wad. And, um, I kind of got into her about like, you know, keeping her chest tall and like, you know, externally rotating on the bar, you know, things like that. And just being in, you know, a better start position. And what she would do is she, you know, it was amazing how quick it changed around, mm -hmm. but she would only do it for like the first rep or two and then immediately revert back to, you know, her, her old way of pretty much like, if you can imagine a bar two or three, I mean, it seemed like two or three feet out in front of her, that's exaggerating, but like it was far <laughs> out in front of her and she would basically like just hip hinge down to it, pull it up with her back with her chest hanging low and drive her, her head up hard and just try to toss the weight above her head. and um, Kind of like a funky kettlebell swing with a barbell? Yeah, okay. yeah, that's basically how it looked. And it, but it was in like a two-part movement. So when she got to the hip, you know, she tried to throw her hip at it to get <laughs> okay. it up. And, um, you know, so it's like I told her, I'm like, slow down. Like, just hit each. I don't care if it takes you two minutes to do five reps. Mm -hmm. Like, just slow it down and hit the reps. You know, though the weight on there wasn't heavy for her, I just wanted to see it move right, you know. But she was so used to go, 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 go that she was trying to pound out these reps as quick as she could. So even though she had just been taught and told how to do it better, it would only last for a rep or two and then she would revert right yeah. back to what she was doing. So, um, you know, I see, I've seen cases of that a lot, but if you just take the time, slow down and learn it, it get better at it. It's, it's yeah. magical, you know. Science. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things I think there's like a, a separation from not that the level one is like, you know, the holy grail of anything, but when you go there, they do talk about like work on your technique first, slow it down. Once you build a technique and the reps are perfect, go faster, mm -hmm. you know, and then that's what you build on is the speed of everything and the efficiency of everything. But once it's efficient enough, you need to pick it up the intensity. Like they actually tell you that, you know. So somewhere between teaching and translation. Yeah, it gets lost, and you know, you know, it's it's one of those things you ha you can go somewhere, and I mean, you we see it with people with their masters all the time, and 
um, and their PhDs that are in the sports performance world. Mm-hmm. Like you can have all this knowledge and learn all these things in, in your studies, but if you can't apply it, then, you know, essentially useless unless you want to write a book. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I I think, you know, with, with CrossFit, I think that's the kind of the biggest thing that they, they just don't, I I get it. Most people are just showing up to do a workout. You know, they want to show up, they want to get their workout in, they want to be done for the day or whatever. Um, but you do have people in there that actually care to move better, want to Mm -hmm. be better and all that stuff. So, you know, I don't know if it's a thing of, you almost have to have a two class system within one class or what, but I don't know. It's like you said, I mean, you ran classes even, uh, I know you've told stories, uh, prior to having your own gym Mm -hmm. where like you ran a group fitness and in that same type of situation, like you and I both know the movement rarely matters on what you're picking. So like you said, you could have 12 people each with them doing a a different variation for say, um, an upper body pool. As long as they have the right variation for them, they'll have a similar outcome when it comes to the conditioning effect. Well, we had, yeah, we had, especially when we were running those, those group classes years ago, it's like you would have a 60 year old woman in the same class as an 18 year old girl. And it's like, you know, one might be able to do, you know, a barbell movement and the other one, you know, might be able to do a kettlebell. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it's how it is. It's and most people are fine with that. They're not going to get butt hurt because you make them do a modification that puts them in a safer movement. If they're truly there just to get the workout. Oh, and, you know, now we introduce the competitive portion yeah. of being in the CrossFit class. Yeah. So you didn't do RX. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's, that's another thing in itself, but you know, I, I've, you know, I've been there, I've seen it. Um, you know, I've, I've wanted to do, uh, you know, I can remember when I first started too, it's like, well, I want to do that weight. I want to do yeah. that, whatever the hell it says on the board, but like, I wasn't ready for that. So right. I didn't do it <laughs> that simple. You know? Carrying it over to talking about, uh, coaches and athletes. Well, I, just athletes, for example. Um, if you know that there's a very good chance that your movement is not efficient or not as efficient as it could be, mm-hmm. uh, or not as clean as it could be, and therefore you have a, a limit on your overall efficiency, for God's sakes, go get a coach. Yeah. Like, in, or not, go yeah, to a not. practitioner. Here, and, and here's the thing, not to cut you off, but like, oh God. you know, there's coaches out there. You don't even need to hire them for, you know, programming or whatever. Do, you know, if you got someone local, go do a session with them. You know how mm-hmm. much can get changed. And it happens, you know, it happens to me quite often. I'll get a random message from someone, you know, I haven't worked with in years or maybe never worked with. Yeah. And all they want to do is come in to get help with their squat or their deadlift or something. Yeah. And, it, and they schedule a session and it takes sometimes just that one session for things to click. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, I'll get a message a week or two later, like, Hey, everything's feeling great or whatever. They'll, they'll tell me months down the line, hit a PR today, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, you don't exactly need to like hire that coach and be on like an ongoing thing. Right. But like you can go see them in person or there's coaches out there. I'm sure they would gladly take a consult fee to review your videos. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, there's ways that you can improve and get help without, you know, you don't need to spend $300 a month on a coach, right? but 
you know, if you can't afford it and you can swing it, get a coach for six months and watch how it changes your life. Oh, it's huge. It'll, yeah, it'll be a game changer yeah. completely. Uh, the number of times that uh, you've introduced online clients to me that need a little bit of help mm-hmm. with movement correction, not from so much a technique standpoint, but they're not mm-hmm. able to apply technique for one reason or another, and we just have to find that. Mm-hmm. It's one or two sessions. Yeah. And I give them work that they can do on their own. And yeah. I mean, it's not even a check-in after that because usually they just they post their training videos yeah. and you can go in and see it. Like, great, shoulders look way better yeah. as you're going through that. Good job. You know, yeah. keep up a little bit of maintenance work. You're set. Yeah. Um, the drop-ins that you were talking about uh, where someone comes in, signs up for basically a one-on-one one or two times or the people that will sometimes come in just to work with Dan, yeah. you know, from another CrossFit gym or another uh, weightlifting group. So there's so much learning that can happen in that moment that it just makes perfect sense to me that someone would take advantage of it. But yeah. Well, some people, <laughs> some, <laughs> some people, people also, learn. yeah, some people care about their training and some don't. So, um, let's see, did you get, did you get questions this week? I did. Um, I, I, I've been dead to the world by the way. Sorry. <laughs> we didn't get one out last week. We had, um, me that was, I didn't know if I was maybe getting sick or not. I don't know. So I tried to stay away from people for a little bit and then, um, you know, some scheduling just didn't happen. So that's why there was no podcast last week, but, um, so, and I don't think I put out a question. I have some, uh, older ones here that I can get to, and then we can get to yours first though. All right. So, uh, message that came in that asked when or how to know when stretching strengthening this is gonna be big massaging and rest is best for tight injured and sore muscles so i'm not gonna go into all of this because this is gonna be a a fun one for me to do just like a 15 to 20 minute ig uh, tv video on uh get to nerd out a little bit for anyone who wants to suffer through all that question that's uh, so people ask that all the time right and i say go go talk to dane about it he'll tell you (laughs) um and all right so Justin, your job right now is to make sure I don't go off on too many tangents and do too much nerd action. So let's start with the first part. When stretching is best for a tight, injured, sore muscle? Stretching is only one piece of a puzzle. Um, If something is tight or it's injured, if it's tired and feels tight, if it's overworked and feels tight, um, stretching is very rarely ever a bad thing, but I don't like... the idea of stretching, I think motion and movement, because you could have uh, like your adductor strain, for example, you can do some stretching on it, but that's uh, a benefit to like one type of activation for the muscle, as opposed to, Hey, you could do some adductor stretching, but you could also do some range of motion work Mm. like hip mobility. You want that very low level activation. That's going to get blood flow in there. That's going to help to clear out some of the inflammation that might be going on from the tissue damage. And and, you know, I don't want to cut you off, but like, I think, one of the things people have to understand too is there's also, you know, when people, when people say stretching, I feel like there's some people that think of like just tape, like static stretching, mm-hmm. you know, and there's other people that think of like yoga and moving through yeah. the range of motion. So you they have, have to, like the dynamic yeah, action that happens. Yeah. You have to understand there's different types of, you know, stretching. Right. And I, I think that's what people need to understand also. So, so the, the dynamic action if it's injured, I mean, obviously, if you're going to be doing movement, uh, like some kind of training with that, even if it's just like regular rehab, you know, mm-hmm. prehab stuff, 
act recovery. Doing the dynamic prior is obviously a fantastic idea, just like any other warm up. The static component, if you're going to be doing any static stretching, um, you can do on a, a daily basis, whether it's in the morning, whether it's in the evening, like once the tissue's kind of warmed up with the injury, and you can do it really at any time. Mm. Um, but understanding that that static component, or I really should like the, the stretching component, uh, whether it is dynamic, static, um, using different variations like yoga, is just one piece of the puzzle. So easy answer, you can do it anytime. The things that they have found with it that work the best are sets of 30 seconds, not like a longer duration you're going through. So like you could do two sets of 30 and have a greater benefit than one set of 60 seconds on a static stretch kind of going through. But the strengthening part, um, taking the same concept where static or I'm sorry, stretching has all these different variations. Strengthening would be literally anything that has a contraction and you just got to figure out like, what's your threshold for that contraction? Like the entry level exercises, the way they refer to it, like what's the highest level of exercise you can do that's specific to the area that doesn't cause pain above like a three or four. Once you have that, it's like as soon as you can strengthen. Why? Because that goes back to the same thing as movement where you're going to get blood flow. You're going to get uh, some of that inflammation getting cleared out of that through the lymphatic system. Um, there's uh, a host of benefits that come from getting the blood flow that goes into there. Anyway, um, so strengthening can happen really as soon as possible. As soon as you know that movement is not going to cause, or you know the motion or movement you need that isn't going to cause further damage. Yeah. Like once you have that figured out, great. Like go, you can go do it. Um, so the next part, massaging. Massaging can happen literally from like ground zero of an injury. Most people are going to say, no, don't do that because they don't understand like the nuances of massage. Yeah. And they're going to think, well, if you go get a massage, it's deep tissue. It's like, no, you don't. Like, this no. is where you have to understand the different kinds, whether it's different pressures and different speeds and different variations. I don't just mean like hot stone versus Swedish. I mean, understanding how to work with the body in whatever state it's in, mm-hmm. whether it's you know tissue damage or you're trying to promote parasympathetic versus sympathetic. Um, you can do massage immediately and at any point. No. Because what is massage, but you're essentially outsourcing movement. Yeah. You're having someone else increase blood flow. I think, I think people think that you're just diving in there. And yeah, it's like, it I'm going to drive my elbow into you and try and get rid of some trigger points. Like, that's not it. No. Um, but if you, were, if you weren't able to find somebody, you know, no matter what their practitioner or what their practice is that doesn't understand that, then you probably want to wait anywhere from five to 10 days before you're getting worked on because you got to go through this whole process of the inflammatory cycle and starting to rebuild some of that and getting some of the sensitivity down in that area before you get worked on in the way that most people traditionally think of getting worked on when it comes to sports massage. So uh, that's for injuries for the tight aspect. uh, That's a different conversation where we got to figure out, why you're perceiving it as being tight. I mean that, like Mm -hmm. I said earlier, that could be the muscle being just tired. Um, like if it gets overworked, it's going to have, you know, local fatigue that causes like, you know, post deadlifts, you get high volume deadlifts and you're like, Oh man, my back and hamstrings feel really tight. Like 
are they tight or you know does some of that workout cause it to but, feel that way yeah. but then you go on a you know walk for a little bit and then all of a sudden look at me i'm limber yeah. um and then again the the sore aspect i without going up on a soba i hate the sore question not mm-hmm. against this guy but like the idea of doms mm-hmm. being used as a measurement for recovery is i don't know it just always bugs the shit out of me it's like you did a massage and you uh you feel less sore so you're more recovered it's like Okay, technically, you might be more recovered, but it's mm. not because of the measurement of DOMS in the same yeah. way. Like, you have someone who's sore from doing deadlifts, and they go on a walk, and suddenly they're less sore. It's like, it's blood flow, and yeah. it's helping out what state the nervous system is in. Anyway, nerd rant over. So, hopefully that starts to answer some of it. And like I said, I would love to do a, a longer video on that one in the future talking about it more because I, I do think it's needed. It is, it's very useful information. Um, and some of it is out there, but I think some of the information that's out there is using limited perspective on it. Like the limited idea of the massage techniques. Yeah. And, um, like you were saying with the, the stretching, it was just like the preconceived notion of what we mean when we say stretch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It could have a lot of different, versions that you go through and each one of them has different benefits you know it's just like anything in fitness right now it's there's so many you know methods and yeah (laughs) do this do that at this time and it's like one thing doesn't cover everybody you know and it's not one one size fits all and it's not you know oh just use the theragun like, right it doesn't work that way so um you know there's there's just so much that goes into every part of it and i think that's why it's important to make sure that you have a team of people that specialize in each one of these things because mm-hmm. you know again like me as more of a a coach and a programmer versus like you know i can have a a, a little bit of knowledge on the recovery stuff but uh, you, you know i'm not trying to be a person that I'm not going to be a master of all of them, if that makes sense. Like no matter how hard I try and you know, there's very few, very, very, very few coaches that I can even think of that know a lot about multiple subjects within the field of fitness, meaning like they don't have time. They can program technique, you know, nutrition, recovery, all that. Like it's, there's not a lot of them out there that just know all that into depth. So, um, yeah, so it's important to find yourself a team, find yourself, um, you know, a group of people, and whether that's on the same team or, you know, you have a coach and they recommend, uh, a lot of coaches will recommend certain practitioners, certain people for nutrition, certain, you know, these yeah. things. Listen to those people because there's a reason they're recommending them. So, But dear God, if you're the athlete that's reaching out to different practitioners or coaches, like you're now responsible for the communication between them. And that's one of the things that we're really lucky here Um, where if Justin sends somebody over and like to have a conversation with me, I don't pretend to say how they need to modify their exercise or, uh, what they should modify their exercise to, because I don't know the programming. I don't understand what he has taken them from and taken, or is planning on taking them to, but I can say, Hey, can we come up with a version of an exercise that puts less strain in this area? And he's like, yeah. Yeah. And this is what it'll look like. And I, I help him to, you know, get an idea of you know, how long that process needs to take. Yeah. And then he can apply that as needed. Um, but I don't, 
yeah. ever want to pretend to be able to do his job because I just don't understand to programming me, yeah, like he to does. To me, like that, you know, it happens in the practitioner world just as much as like it's happened with, you know, Joe bro guy in the fucking gym that says something to one of my clients like, Oh, why are you doing that? Like you watch that person do one, you know, set of one exercise and you're wondering why it's in their program. Right. You are an idiot. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't That's make not going to help sense. you. Oh, okay, man, there's a, there's a reason for it, but all right. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm glad I got a lot of clients that kind of, cause it's usually females that like guys will try to be like, well, why are you doing that? Because it's going to get her fucking strong. That's why. Dude. Like, <laughs> so I got a lot of females that will bite back at that and just be like, because mm, my coach has me doing it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. So, um, yeah, where are we at on time? I don't want to. Uh, 38 minutes. 38 minutes. Well, we're not going to talk your ear off today. Um, unless you got any. Do you have any like short questions or are they all pretty long? Uh, they were all pretty long. That yeah, was the we'll, one that I thought was the most. We'll get to more. Interesting uh, out of the yeah. long ones. Hopefully we'll get another um, podcast record at the end of the end of the week here and try to get two out um, pretty rapid fire here, hopefully. So um, we'll be posting to get, you know, more questions and we'll, we'll keep getting to these. If we don't get to them, you know, on an episode, then we'll just keep, keep them around and um, we'll get to all of them eventually. So uh, hopefully that provides some insight to uh, everything we were discussing and, um, Hopefully we'll be able to do these every week now. I can't can't really think of anything coming up that's like that's gonna block that. So we should be should be good as long as you know none of us die or whatever happened. Knock on wood. Me, happened to me. God, that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I was sleeping all the time, and I don't know. You know, it's I'm one of those people though. Like my CNS gets rocked, and you know this. Like, yeah. It just gets rocked during prep. Um, you usually. should almost set a clock to it, and then when you, you go know, through on, prep, on top of like whatever you know sinus issue i was having i was like man i hope i'm not getting sick you know with all the covid stuff you know i, I don't want to be that guy running into the gym sick but um yeah i was all right. fine i don't i was just dead yeah <laughs> a lot of heavy lifts so it is what it is i'm old all right all right yeah we'll quit talking now you all have a good day and um we'll see you later have a good one